Hey, it's Sarah and Kristen. Welcome back for another episode of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. We're stoked to have you here and we are so grateful for the time that both our guests and our listeners give to us. Before we kick off, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and sea where this podcast is being recorded on, the land of the Kabi Kabi people of the Sunshine Coast. We pay respect to their elders past, present and those emerging. Just as a quick reminder, we have a Patreon account. Patreon itself allows us to continue to cover the cost for the podcast, such as monthly hosting, website, and equipment upgrades to bring you the best quality possible. And any guest appearances from our dogs, none today from Bear and Moose. I'm very <laughs> proud of these guys for sleeping through. <laughs> With that in mind, every little contribution makes a huge difference to us. For even just a gold coin donation every month, we would be so stoked to have you on as a Patreon. It's pretty easy to find and sign up online at patreon.com forward slash into the wee hours podcast huge shout out to all of our existing patrons and just all of our listeners again we love you all so much support also doesn't need to be in the form of a financial contribution another way that you can support this podcast and make it easier for people to find us is to please consider leaving a rating or review on the platform that you're listening to us from also we love seeing our listeners either reach out or tagging our guests in their instagram stories so if you've particularly loved an episode, please do repost, tag, and let us know why you loved listening. Thank you again to everyone who has either left a rating or review or tagged us on socials. All right. So today we are so stoked to bring back a returning guest, Gemma Perandere, onto the show. Gemma joins us a few months after her experience at the 100-kilometer trail running race CCC. If you haven't listened, please hop back and listen to episode 31, where Gemma spoke to us a week before heading to Europe back in like July or August. Time has flown by. <laughs> we mostly focus on her experience with CCC, where Gemma battled with some pretty intense altitude sickness, which ultimately led to her not finishing the race. But with her amazing race mindset, she reflects on insights we can all gain from our sport and continuing on even in the face of adversity. We just know you're going to love this one. Thank you again, Gemma, for sharing your time with us. All right, let's get into it. Cue the music with Quiston. Welcome to episode 35 of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. My name is Sarah Pendergrass and I am here with my wonderful co-host Kristen Vorton. Hello! <laughs> we are also joined today via Zoom by Gemma Perandere. I didn't check your name before I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get the extra per. -er -er -er. Yeah. <laughs> Gemma, welcome Perfect. back. Thank you. I'm really happy to be back. Thanks for having me again. It's great to chat to you. It's great to see you. I know that when we spoke to you last time, we were like, we'll catch up in person and we still haven't caught up in person. <laughs> no, no, it's been a hectic, hectic six months, I think, for everybody. It's like life kind of went back to normal, kind of post-COVID and yeah, normal is hectic. 
everybody had to catch up on what they hadn't done for the last year and a half and then on top of everything else. So yes. Yeah. So when did, when did we last speak to you? What month was that even? Is it July? When was CCC? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was late August. So it must've been like end of July or early August or something. Oh my gosh. Time is a construct. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Well, we are stoked to have you back on. Thank you for coming back on. Um, we are going to start off, we're going to dive into a quick fire round um, with a little bit of a focus with CCC in mind, because when we last spoke to you, you were heading into that race. If, you ha- if you're a listener and you haven't listened to Gemma's episode, please listen to that one first, because it gives great context for who Gemma is, all of the amazing things that Gemma does, um, and how she balances all of that with running long distances and yeah before we spoke to you you were heading off to Europe and I think it was just a week before um that we actually spoke to you so recap listen to that and then tune back into this one with that in mind will we just dive into the quick fire questions Kristen do it all right so we last spoke to you about CCC but if if someone hasn't actually listened to that episode yet Gemma what does CCC stand for um, it's the name of the three towns in which the race runs through and because yeah, I can never remember all of them. <laughs> Comayer, isn't that one of them? <laughs> Comayer, Chamonix, and then it is... Uh... <laughs> See how there quickly we like, move on. <laughs> sorry, I can't remember the third one. CC. Anyway, it's the name three towns that you run through anyway yeah and how long is the race give us a little bit of a quick recap on it yeah it's a it's a hundred kilometers so it's part of the UTMB world sort of series final as it's called now um which is like a a week-long festival with uh, I think seven different events and CCC is 100k it's sort of kind of the second biggest of the the um the races like in terms of participation yeah and I guess we're familiar as ultra runners with all of these acronyms, but UTMB being Ultra Trail Mont Blanc as well, if uh, if this is all new jargon for someone listening right now. Also, the third C is Champay. Oh, oh Champay, yeah, because yeah. Champay, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> sorry, that's so bad. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, I haven't like thought months. about it in ages. <laughs> I haven't actually, because I spent months studying the course, and then I just, like, when we got back, I just yeah oh that's a whole different topic like we'll get into that right exactly. yeah that is that's so part of it, it itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right so the next uh quick not quick fire question <laughs> shout out to your crew oh yeah my crew awesome crew of oh, chris my partner obviously he's himself a very accomplished runner but seems to just put his stuff on hold and support me with everything that I end up doing which is really good because he's probably more successful than I am when it comes to running um in terms of he does a lot better um then a really good friend of mine Linda who came over from Tasmania she was in the UK beforehand she came over to Chamonix and helped helped crew and then my mum also came over from the UK to support so yeah so I had a I had a pretty big crew um, and they, yeah, they pretty much just gave up that weekend or those few days just to sort of support me, which was amazing. And th- these races, you just couldn't do them without crew, the size, complexity, logistics. Yeah, that crew is everything. Fantastic. And had you seen your mum since COVID? Was that also? 
Yeah, I had. So when I when we went over to the US to crew um, Megan Brown at Western States, we spent a couple of weeks in the UK before oh, yeah. that. So I saw her in June. So it was sort of like I hadn't seen her for about two years and then suddenly saw her twice in the space of two months. So, oh, yeah. That's lovely. So, All right. Yeah. I'm going on tangents now. I used to be all about the quick fire and now I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Um, okay, so <laughs> UTMB and CCC are um, races which draw like headline talent in terms of elite runners, um, probably people you've seen on Instagram. Did you have any fangirl moments while you were there? Well, I am the most embarrassing fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm terrible because I like I live and breathe trail running it's like in the same way that people get obsessive about like the footy or rugby or cricket that that for me is trail running and so I know all of the pro runners like I follow them all I listen to the running podcasts and I get to know them so whenever I see them I just like I'm just such a loser (laughs) um we saw um, we saw Killian Giorno um, as he came into the Valacine um, aid station, so the last sort of crude checkpoint on the UTMB and CCC course. Um, and uh, Matthew Blanchard, who was right on his heels, and that was just like <laughs> both Chris and I were so embarrassing because we like high fived Killian as he ran past us, and we were like, "Go through!" Have you washed your hands? <laughs> like they should be wrapped in plastic. <laughs> so we did yeah oh, that's right because he came through wearing his mask and i thought that that yeah. was quite funny yeah it, masks and a stations and the, and the finish and start line which is incredible really like, yeah wow yeah, yeah I, crazy I mean, so for anybody yeah. who doesn't know killian journey is like the goat like he's greatest great. of all time yeah <laughs> he's an amazing runner yeah any women he's um yes <laughs> so um <laughs> Marianne Hogan, we kind of saw at the finish line, and I think she's awesome. She's just such a cool person. She's so nice. She's a Canadian, Canadian ultra runner from Quebec, and she's just so like friendly and nice. Um, yeah, I just trying to think who else we saw. It was so surreal just walking around Chamonix and just seeing like all these like people just casually walking around. So, um, yeah, there was some. That, like there's a lot of people there mm. um, at like during that week and it must be so weird if you're a tourist and you just haven't like looked at what's going on in Chamonix and then you pitch up and there's just like all these weird, weird skinny <laughs> like tall runners like kicking around yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. I probably had more fangirl moments at Western States because it's such a smaller race in terms of number of people oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, fair so you actually do like if you're at Western States um, at the expo and at the start line, you, you like there's only 250 odd people there, so you just bump into like all of the amazing runners. Um, so I probably had more embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing fangirl moments there. And Brownie can tell you about one particular <laughs> where we went to like try and like you know talk to somebody, and I just froze and left her like <laughs> to deal with all of the. You're going to listen to all your podcast. I know everything about you. <laughs> yeah, I just stood there like a like a lemon, and she was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that." All right, what was a highlight of the day? Um, oh gosh, of 
of the the race day itself or yes of the race yeah, day okay. itself um it i mean the start line is just the most unbelievable experience i mean anybody who follows that race i've followed it for years and i kind of always see the start line vibe and um like the the finish line vibe and all of that kind of stuff and um it's like you're, you're sort of standing in the corral at the start line and they play this particular song this particular but well, it's a classical music piece and it just like builds this huge amount of emotion and I didn't realize I, I mean I knew that like it would be quite an incredible experience being at that start line but the emotion that just being there years of hard work to get into the race um and just being on that start line felt so surreal and then the music starts playing and you just yeah I started to like cry a little bit <laughs> it's like no you gotta run you can't cry <laughs> so yeah that was definitely a highlight just that whole you know just like the culmination of you know five years of of working you know doing the races to qualify and getting the the points so that I had a good enough score to to be able to do CCC and yeah just being there and everything that had gone into being there just kind of came to a point with that moment at the start line and it is a really celebratory thing to get Mm. to a start line of any race but particularly after all your travel after you know five years of trying to get in it's like one after the other like that it's definitely very emotional sometimes to just be at the start line sometimes that's the biggest battle in itself do you know how many people I was just trying to look it up do you know how many people were on the start line because it is incredible when you watch it like thousands yeah, right like around 2,000 people do CCC yeah huge. um it's huge and you can it feels like there's that many people there yeah, it's, it's, yeah. um yeah I think it's around 2,000 starters wow. in it's, it's wild like in in our sport in trail running you know like you might be coming from like a road marathon background and be like you think of these huge marquee marathons where they do have thousands of runners but for trail running to have that many people standing on a start line about to hit the trails is raising their hand to run 100k yeah indeed. like yeah. there's 2,000 yeah, people like, in the same spot at the same time wanting to run 100k in the like, mountains. yeah in the mountains. For context like UTA for example because I think you know most people listening to the podcast who are runners would have would know Ultra Trail Australia yeah. I think they draw around three to four thousand people for across all five races that they have they have five races I think that they have across the, like a four-day period whereas UTMB across all of the races that they have draws like 12,000 people oh so gosh. it's just like on a scale that's and UTA it's markets themselves as being like the largest <laughs> yeah. race in the southern hemisphere trail so, yeah. yeah so so it's just it's like more than double and it's just it's almost un- incomprehensible like you just kind of can't believe and then you're there and it feels like there's a lot of people yeah. in this one small tiny town in you know the french swiss italian border um but it's also just all part of the the vibe of being there yeah, it's pretty mm. incredible thing to think that you're one of, you That's know, cool. however hundreds of people. Yeah. Amazing. I love that you had that little celebration moment of emotion as well. It was very special. <laughs> All right, the next question, Kristen wrote oh, this. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to ask this. This is like an, well, well, we'll you can see. do the second one. <laughs> I gave you an option. Oh, no, but you're, this is question five I'm looking at. We just asked oh, the highlight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, okay, this may may give away the ending, but a low light of the day, Gemma. 
Oh yeah, well it will give away then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, anybody who follows me on in Instagram will know that I did not finish ZCC, which we will probably talk about in depth. Definitely. And um, that was a low light. Yep. <laughs> but well, uh, have, yeah, yeah, that would have definitely been a low light of my day. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was, uh, again, we can talk about this in more detail, but it would have been I was coming into the third aid, third aid station or the second aid station. It's at like around the 26-kilometre mark. And I had a real struggle, a real battle to get there. And, um, like, the, the, the aid station is, like, in a marquee that's at the bottom of the valley, and you have about five cases of switchbacks. To get down there and you can see the marquee the whole time and I'm looking at my watch and I'm looking at the time and I'm like so aware that I'm close to the cutoff and I can see them I can see the aid station I just had to get there before the cutoff and as soon as I knew that I was going to miss it like I didn't give up like I thought oh maybe they'll just let me get through because I started in the second wave and you know but it was yeah didn't and and when I was cut off, yeah, I just had a massive ugly cry. <laughs> like a really big ugly cry. I felt so sorry for myself for a good period of time. Yeah, good one. Totally yeah. fair. We will definitely yeah. come back to that. That gave me goosebumps. Mm. Oh. <laughs> All right. Bit of a change of gear on the next one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we asked this question. So it came up at dinner last night. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty, pretty good one. If you were going to be going for a Guinness Book of World Records. It's gonna. Mm. It's something that has to be realistic for you that you have to want to do. So we were kind of like setting up this whole, um, you know, you've got to kind of want to do it and it has to be out of stretch just enough that you have to do like all the logistical planning and things. What What's the record that you're going for? Do you know, this is a really weird one because it's not like I'm a, like well-known for my cycling prowess. <laughs> Um, but I have read quite a lot of books about people who have cycled around the world. <laughs> and, like, I don't know if I would want to do it fastest. Maybe dress as a hot dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> the only person in the world to bike around the world in a hot dog suit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. You might have a smell, buddy. <laughs> you might have to have, like, a couple that you go through. Because think of all that wind resistance and all of that, like... It would kind of disintegrate by the end of it. Yeah, I'd have to have a few. Well, you could have like a cold climate one that's like a cozy one. Oh my gosh. And then, like like a, and then a hot climate that's, you know, more like a lycra or something. Yes, <laughs> if you, have, if you yeah. haven't listened to Gemma's episode previously, you need to go back and understand yeah. the hot dog reference. <laughs> well, inside joke for everybody. Cool. I'm excited. Yeah, that would be good. That would be really cool. And like raise money for charity or something in the process. Yeah, there you go. Nobody can see it, but Gemma's like scheming right now. Yeah. Like she's looking at oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the I whole body language of like thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> the race plans are all changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that might push the crew relationship a little bit. <laughs> Just stick to Archie. Just keep it a day. Keep it a day. <laughs> Surprise! I had this great idea. I'm cycling around the world dressed as a hot dog, and you're joining me. Y'all are coming for the ride. <laughs> cool. Awesome. The well, I'm glad we've I'm glad we've established that now. Um, okay, final one of the quick fire question. 
And this is a question that I forgot to ask you last time that we came back to when we interviewed you, I think, Gemma. But essentially, this comes from the conversation we had with Luke, sports psychologist. It was around gratitude um, and around, um, I guess, recognizing yourself. And just simply, we would ask you to compliment yourself. Oh, yeah. I do remember last time I struggled because I'm not good at complimenting myself. Um you're very funny. I'm very funny. <laughs> I think I can be quite funny. Hey, I laugh at my own jokes. <laughs> so it must be pretty funny. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. It is Are funny. Great. Well, so if it is for whatever reason, your very first time listening, again, go back and listen to Gemma so you kind of know how the most shows are structured, but we usually do a bit of an origin story. So again, we've got Gemma's origin story in the last podcast. I believe it's episode 30, 31, yeah. one of those two. Um, so just give a little bit of a quick update on everything else. We know that you've done CCC, which we'll get into, but how what you, what's been going on for the last of whatever six months it is? <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a pretty wild few months, actually. So yeah, we were in um, Chamonix for two weeks in the end of August. At the end of August, we came back um, and... Uh, Chris started a new job, so there was so so we sort of um, trying to get into the the new routine of of work and stuff, and um, finally stopped raining in Springbrook, so we could actually start doing stuff to our house. So our renovation started again, um, and then um, I've been working on a project all year, kind of as an aside with the World Wildlife Fund. Um, on just some mangrove restoration conservation work and so I had to go to Mexico for two weeks in October um, as part of that project to run a a workshop and a few other things and so I went to Mexico for two weeks (laughs) um, which was amazing and exhausting um, at the same time and then yeah got back and kind of been trying to (laughs) work out what my name is and what time of year it is ever since um, and um we then went down to uta as a sort of like bit of a last minute thing i hadn't intended on doing any races the second half of this year because obviously i figured that i would have done ccc and probably want a bit of a break um so i went and ran the 50k at uta which was really um which was nice the weather was um better than last year but still really cold and windy um and of course the course was completely different um to previous years um and there was a a bit of you know uncertainty around that but I actually quite enjoyed it so it was a good good weekend and then um yeah we just came back from Tasmania we were we were there for the Bruni Island Ultra and we ran that in every day yeah, and Bruni's, I mean, Sarah, you were just in Bruni too, and we had completely different weather. Yeah, and you know, it was so funny because we had packed thinking because there's still snow on like the top of Mount Wellington, oh, wow. and, um, like some of the um, some of the higher mountains, like around like Cradle and the southwest, and um, so we had packed like warm weather gear and we got there and it was like 25 degrees and blaring sunshine and like sunburn sort of situation. We hadn't even put sun cream, you know, <laughs> so we had to go and get some sun cream. And But it was, yeah, superb, such a great community event, Bruniard Archer, and we ran it, it's uh, 64K and ran it in a relay with my friend Linda who had supported us and supported in 
Chamonix. And so, yeah, that was a really fun weekend. So that was, yeah, that's, it's been busy. And now we're kind of rolling into Christmas. So, yeah. Just, More busy. <laughs> yeah. Having a couple of weeks off over Christmas off, off work, you know, just like, looking forward to having a, like a proper break that doesn't involve running an ultra or, you know, running a workshop in Central America. Just being home and just being. <laughs> yeah. That would be yeah. nice. Yep. Be no, no weddings, no ultras. <laughs> no, yeah. No, no work. Just, just having a nice quiet time. So good. So good. Nice. All right. So I reckon if you're good to dive into CCC, do you want to talk yeah. us through what happened on race day, Gemma? Do you, oh, do yeah. you that? Let's hear a little bit about like what happened beforehand. Like, so you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we arrived, um, we flew into Geneva and we arrived about a week. It was just under a week before race day. So we arrived on the Saturday and the race was the following Friday. So we had a week um, and we spent one night in Geneva and then went straight to Chamonix. And we were staying in Valassine, which in hindsight, I don't think we would do again because um, the Chamonix Valley is amazing. And it's it's a relatively well-connected valley. There's a train line that kind of goes all the way from, well, connects to Geneva, but it goes from Chamonix to Valassine and then across into Switzerland. And um so, so you can easily jump on a train and, and um, get the – there's like a 40-minute train journey between Chamonix and Valassine and it's pretty easy to go back and forth, but the trains stop at like 8 p.m. So if you're not having dinner, there's no way to get back. Um, it's, and it's we had Europe. rented the car. Yeah, and not was, spring break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about Europe. Europe, like, like they don't even think about dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in France, mm. I don't think they think about dinner until 9 p.m. Yeah. So, oh, um and um, we'd rented a car, but because there's so many people in Chamonix that week, you really, like, you can't park anywhere in Chamonix during that week. Um, so we had pretty much, we'd been using the car um, just to sort of get around the valley when we needed to, but otherwise we, we actually didn't use it much at all. So I probably wouldn't worry too much having a car in the future. Everything's pretty well connected, but it was nice to be sort of away from the, like, the chaos of Chamonix and to be able to sort of retreat from it. And I had sort of learned a bit from from spending some time with Brownie at Western States that it's really good to be able to withdraw yourself from the chaos of, of the race and the, the build-up to the race and not feel like you need to be involved in everything all the time. So we kind of chose to go into Chamonix and go to the expo, and the expo was awesome. Like, we spent so much money on merch. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have all the merch. So um so that was really great. And it was a really kind of nice lead up and, and we'd gone and done some runs a bit higher up. So where we were staying, we could kind of go up onto where some of the course goes. And so we did a little bit of um some of the other races, some of the other courses, um, just sort of at the top near the Swiss border, um, which was at altitude and I was feeling okay about that. Like we'd gone up to about 2,100 metres maybe or 2,200 metres um, and I was feeling okay. So I wasn't too worried. Like you could definitely feel like like exercise at that at that height was a little bit laboured. And I'd been at altitude a few times before and had had like an experience where I had no issues at all. 
and another experience where we got a really bad allergy sickness. So I had no idea how it was going to go. It was one thing I was a bit concerned about. Um, so come race day, like logistically, it's a really difficult race because it's a point to point. So when you run UTMB, it's the 105 mile race, you start and finish in Chamonix. So the logistics from a runner's point of view isn't that difficult. You don't have to get to a start line if you're staying in Chamonix. Um, whereas if you're doing CCC, you start in um, Cormier. So you have to go under Mont Blanc through the tunnel um, and they have buses taking runners and spectators across. Um, and that was sort of organised pretty well. And we booked on a on a bus and we'd been, I'd been pretty organised and got it all sorted. So we got across into Cormier without any issues and, I was concerned that they'd put runners on one bus and crew and spectators on another bus, but that's, it wasn't like that at all. It was all good. Um, so we kind of got to Cormier, um, and it was really busy, and it's a bit of a walk from where they drop you off on the bus to the start line. So we kind of just made getting up there a priority, and I was pretty nervous. Like, I was trying to manage my nerves, and I can get a bit a bit shitty <laughs> but I'm nervous and a bit snappy and so I was trying not to be a, a dick <laughs> to anybody around me um but I was pretty nervous um and I got um like you're kind of seated based on your um your UTMB points so for every race that you've done um that's recognized by the UTMB series point system which is not just the utmb series races it includes races like blackhall and and other races like that um you get a you get an athlete ranking and that's sort of based on how many people were in the same race and where you finished and the difficulty of the race and that kind of stuff and my points are actually because like <laughs> once upon a time was quite a, quite a reasonable runner um my point ranking my ranking is actually quite good <laughs> so i was able to sort of start in the second wave um, so I was in, I was sort of standing in the second wave area and Chris was on the side there just sort of like keeping an eye on me, making sure I was okay and not like freaking out too much. And I was pretty calm. Um, and yeah, and that was sort of the, the start really. It was, um, it was pretty full on when they hit the, hit the gun. And what time, what time does the gun actually go off? Because it's a little bit of a later start from memory. Yeah, it's 9 a.m. for yeah, CCC. Okay. So so obviously in Australia we're used to our races starting at like 6 a.m. or 5.30 sometimes. It's like pretty early in Australia. Um, so 9 was quite good because like it meant that we still had to get up relatively early to get on the bus to get to – well, we had to get on the train to get on the bus to get to um, Cormier. But um, but it wasn't like a really hectic antisocial time and there was no stress because we had plenty of time to get there. And I think that's good. Like I wouldn't want to start early and feel like I had to get up at 2 a.m. so yeah, I could rush the time. time. Big day. Yeah. 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 I don't do rushed very well. I don't like being rushed. And that's why I'm generally very organised and I plan things in advance because I hate being rushed. Like I like to sort of just you know, feel as at ease about my timing and what I've got, you know. Um, so I don't kind of feel that pressure. Just yeah. I don't I just don't like it. I just don't like being like I've never been very good at like having to run for the months or you know, like yeah. Get it so that was 
yeah so that was sort of the lead up and I was feeling pretty good like I I knew that like my training hadn't been perfect I mean there is no such thing as perfect lead up but <laughs> good um, point <laughs> but I think it's like um because I had have had some health issues the last sort of 18 months and I can't necessarily push myself as much as I used to be able to so like sometimes I have a week like the week I've just had where I just I'm just really tired and I just don't have the the energy to really put into long runs so there'd been a few weeks like through my training where I I hadn't hit all of the all of my training goals and felt like I could have had a much longer like if I'd had a much longer build-up I would have done better but you know it is what it is you can only like I was there on the start line you know August 27th 2022 that was it I that was my shot at the race and I just had to just go with what I had at that time and even if it wasn't perfect I just had to believe in myself and and I felt really good like I knew I could do it like I knew in my head like my mental game was really good and that's something I had worked really hard on the last 18 months because um right before I I went in to have surgery last year um for endometriosis I did UTA 100 and I had my first ever DNF um at that 60k into that race and I was quite I was quite unwell but it really hit me hard mentally because it felt like I hadn't been able to push through and I wasn't I'd lost my like that ultra strength that I always had that mental strength and I didn't really feel like myself anymore like I didn't feel like I had that you know that sort of doggedness that I'd always had that stubbornness to get something done and I had just given up which wasn't that wasn't true like I had actually been quite unwell during that race but um yeah I don't know it was something I felt like I really needed to work on for CCC to make sure that it wasn't my head wasn't the thing that was going to let me down so I was standing on the start line I was feeling really like confident I knew that my head could get me through that 100ks and if it took 24 hours to do it then I would be okay and I could get through that 24 hours mentally like I could work through the hard times and if there were lows and stuff like that I knew I could do it so I was feeling good I knew it wasn't going to break any land speed records or you know come anywhere near the top 10 <laughs> but you know I was feeling like I, I could do it so yeah I was feeling pretty confident pretty good can I ask Gemma just quickly there because you make a really good point in terms of um, the mental side of things just being so huge in endurance and I think there can be a tendency to just think that, oh it comes naturally it's like oh I'm either really headstrong or I'm a, I'm a quitter wherever you want to you know polarize it when you talk about really preparing yourself mentally what did that look like what sort of practice do you have around that um well I mean, I'm not very good at doing yoga with mindfulness. I wish I was better. And, you know, it's funny, I was chatting to Cecilia Mattis before the race and she had gone through like a, she'd had a moment where like, a few days before where she'd been feeling a bit anxious and overwhelmed and she'd done some meditation and then like really helped her and like she had an incredible day. Um, and I was sort of like, oh, I really should do, <laughs> should do that. But I, do, I, I don't do it in that sense. Um, a lot of my long runs that I do are solo and I do that I mean obviously I love to have company <laughs> I like chatting to people so it's not like I prefer to be alone but I do the solo runs alone especially like the long ones like the six to eight hour ones because 
you have to be happy with where you are in your head. And it's so much easier when you're on your own to go, oh, bugger it, I'm just going to turn around now. Like rather, you know, rather than having to, you don't have to let anybody else down. You know, you don't have to kind of say to the person that's with you, um, hey, I'm not really feeling like finishing this off. Can we go back? Because then you're ruining somebody else's day who's probably wanting to do it. Um, when you're on your own, you can just go, oh, I'm just going to turn around. So I had done a lot of my, most weekends I had like a six to eight hour long run or hike wow. um, in my program. And I did them all on my own. And a lot of that was like, some most like most of them were fine and I was mentally fine and I am pretty I'm like I don't have any mental health issues like I'm very fortunate from that perspective I um well I I don't have any like you know negative thoughts and uh, really I'm quite my thought my head's quite a happy place it's not like a scary place that I can't retreat into um and if something hurts or I'm a bit over it because you know like eight hours on your feet you get a bit of <laughs> um I can kind of talk myself around they just practice that you know just made like because you can make really conscious decisions about things and I kind of believe that like if you go into a race with a bit of a shitty attitude you're probably gonna have a pretty shitty day and I've experienced that in races before where I've kind of like gone oh I don't really feel like doing this you know like I just like I shouldn't have signed up or I should have I should have deferred and whatever and then you end up having a crap day because you're in a crap headspace so I think you can make a kind of conscious decision to make positive positive decisions about your day and how it's going to be and I think yeah yeah, I just spent a lot of time working on that so whenever I got to a point when I was doing a training run or a long hike or something where I started feeling like I didn't want to do it or you know something something wasn't feeling right or I you know wasn't having a good time anymore I just sort of try and frame it differently in my mind and just like practice that positivity um and then yeah um so I think like a lot of it is also believing in my my record you know like been doing ultras for such a long time and I've done a lot of 50 80 100k races and I know that I can do it and I put the work in and I know that my body is capable and my mind is capable and so it's just that self-belief I think is yeah it's easier said than done but the more you kind of say I'm capable and I can do this the the more you start to believe it I think yeah Yeah. you pointed out yourself but I was going to point it out if you didn't is um, a lot of those lessons that you have learned of, you know, if you show up to the start line with a pretty shitty attitude, you're probably going to have a pretty shitty day. That comes with the maturity of being in the sport for a really long time so that you have the practice to then reframe yourself. And yeah, you you definitely have longevity in the sport, which a lot of people don't have. So you, you're doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's always been my goal. Like I'm in the sport for the long haul I don't want to show up and blow up and then bow out it's never been like you know and I'm sure that if I really put my running to the to the front of everything and I gave it 100% I could probably do very well um but I also love my job and my career and so it's a balancing act which means I you know I'm a middle packer when it comes to running and that's okay and I know that I'm capable of so much more and it's just you know a matter of not trying to do 
a PhD and work in an ultra at the same time. And everything else. <laughs> you have a few things going on. Not to mention yeah. when you talk about the middle pack, are you still qualified for one of the, like, the biggest races in the world? So it really depends how you measure I mean, that. I've had some amazing races, mm. like some some incre- like I've had some really great runs and really great races, and I've had some really bad ones too. And the bad ones are the ones where, like, I struggled through some really bad times in a race, um, like mostly physical, not usually mental. Um, and those are the ones that you learn the most from. And I, it's interesting because I see, like, I follow quite a lot of people in Southeast Queensland on who who run in the trail running community on Instagram and you see a lot of posts, you know, somebody goes and does a race one weekend and they don't have a good day and they, you know, they really sort of beat themselves up about it and you just kind of, well, it's just part and parcel of the sport. You can't always have a PB. You can't always have the best race. Like you have to have some shit ones because otherwise how do you learn? Like how do you get better? How do you know what works and what doesn't work? Like it's taken me a really long time to get my nutrition right because my physical, like, what used to work for me 10 years ago doesn't work for me anymore. And I've had a whole lot of throwing up in the on the way <laughs> to work out like what now works for me. And, and I, then I've also had to train it too. Like, like I, I have to get a lot of calories in, otherwise I get really fatigued. But if you're putting that much calorie, that much into you in one go, you can really easily throw up or get gut, you know, distress. And yeah, it just takes time. You can't have it. Like, you just can't have it straight away. That's yeah. Just, but yeah. To quote my dad, if you're not falling, you're not learning. And that's everything, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's go back to race day. It's nine o'clock yeah. and the gun goes off. You've got 2,000 of your close, 100 or 1,999 of your closest friends that you're running with. <laughs> and you're all taking off at the same time. You're in a good mental space. Talk about the next 26K. Yeah. So the race starts um, and you run sort of first K and a bit through through Cormier. And it's all cobblestone, so it's a bit hectic and there's, there's like obstacles, you know. It's like an ancient city, uh, like a very old Alpine Italian town. So that, so you've really got to pay attention and there's so many people around. You can very easily kind of get pushed at, pushed into something or trip over. And I, like if you trip over and you fall over and then you've got another, you know, whatever, 1,500 people running over the top of you, that's pretty hectic. So... I was really paying attention like through that first bit and I was trying not to get carried away because like people start, most people start races too hard and then they blow up. And I was, you know, my, I'd spoke, spoken to my coach and we've kind of talked quite like quite clearly through that first bit and was like, just run your own race, pace yourself, don't go out too hard. So, and once you get out of town, you start climbing up. You kind of go up this road that's it's a it's a bitumen road and it starts climbing and then it sort of turns to a gravel road and then it turns to single you kind of cross this river and you in a single track and there's a, that's like a bottleneck on the course because there's like everyone's still very clumped together in that first few k so to get through that first bit was a bit of a cue um, and it's t- tough because you're already climbing you know and there's not a <laughs> There's not a lot of women doing this course, so it's all men around you. And they're all like pumping their tos- testosterone hard up these hills. And I'm like puffing my way up, you know, trying not to get in anybody's way, trying to run my own race, not to go too hard. Cause I knew that the first like eight or nine K of, of CCC is a massive climb. And I 
hadn't done any much of a course recce um, and had just tried to sort of get my head around the elevation profile, but there was nothing that was going to prevent me for that. That was just unbelievable, that climb. So you're climbing like 1,600 metres in like AK or something, and you already start at like 1,200 metres. So pretty much went from 1,200 metres elevation to like 2,600 or something or 2,700 metres. And as we were, and it sort of goes, once you get through onto that single track, it's basically like really steep switchbacks. Um, but it's not, it's not switchbacks like we know here. It's just like a straight up and it's a conga line of people. And so you have to move the pace of everybody else. Um, you can't go if you're going faster then you're going to have to try and get in front of people and because it's a single trail it's very difficult to get around people and if you're going slower then people are trampling on you from behind and they're trying to get past you so it's a it was really full-on like I really I kind of I didn't panic but I really felt the pressure of having to run to move at a pace that wasn't my chosen comfortable pace um so So and then I started that you started off uh like with everybody else looking back would you have started a little slower like maybe put yourself a little bit further back in the pack or um I don't think it would have made I don't think it would have made much difference I think for me um the thing that was really profound was how steep that climb was and how long you were climbing for and there was nothing really that prepared me for that and I had done a lot of elevation like if I look at back at my Strava um because I record all of my runs on my Garmin and it uploads to Strava. And I mostly use Strava to um, to just track my, as like a training log to track what I do. And because I mostly run the same loops, and, you know, the same routes around the place, like I can kind of compare my runs. And you can see like my year this year has been, but like I have done like so much elevation, but it was it just wasn't enough to prepare me for that first climb. And I just don't know how you would prepare for that in Australia. We just don't have that kind of elevation here, especially in South East Queensland. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of know how I would do it now. <laughs> but, yeah, looking back, like, I wasn't, like, I just didn't know. And I don't think you can know until you've done it. So as I got probably past the 2,000-metre mark, I started to feel the altitude at about probably about 2,200 metres. I really started to feel the altitude. And um, and because I was pushing hard to stay in the pace, um, I, my like my hill fitness probably wasn't good enough to be moving at that pace. Um, so the altitude really hit me, and I got really full on tunnel vision. So I don't know if anyone's had tunnel vision before, but it's like basically you can't see everything around you is black, and all you can see is like a very narrow window in front of your your face. It's like it's like looking through a drain pipe. That's what it's like, you wow. know. And it was awful. And and then I started to get this really bad headache and feel quite nauseous as a result. So I was just, I just sort of was closing my eyes and trying to move forward and obviously opening them to sort of check that I wasn't going to trip over something that was moving quick enough. But about three or four times on that climb, I had to step to one side because I just needed to. I just needed to get my heart rate down because my heart was pounding. It, well, it felt like it was going to pound out of my chest, wow. and I, I looked at my watch, which has got a heart rate built into the wrist heart rate, which I know isn't perfectly accurate, but it's a good enough indication. And my heart rate wasn't that high, but it felt like it, like it was going to burst out my chest. 
um, and then you sort of you, co- you you come out above the tree line and you're sort of like above where the snow would be at this time of year and it started raining and it really started raining and it was pouring with rain and that wasn't so bad actually like I don't really mind like I live in Springbrook we've had like six meters of rain this year <laughs> The rain I could do. No, training was done. <laughs> yeah, the rain training was not a problem. But um, a storm had rolled in at the same time and like, it was sort of all around us. And so there was just thunder all around us and it was a bit unnerving. And because I had this tunnel vision and this headache, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what's going on? And um, I could feel myself falling further back and back and back just because, like, every time I had stopped to kind of, like for a minute just to get my heart rate down like people had passed me mm. and so then I was with all of the people who were suffering from altitude sickness <laughs> and there was one guy who was in a really bad way like and I like I think that's the first that has to be one of like the major causes of people not finishing the race because it's it was a lot of people who were suffering um so you at about sort of eight eight or nine kilometers um, you get to the top of the climb and then you kind of are in a saddle on the ridge line. And that's so, so it sort of dropped a little bit in elevation by maybe a hundred meters or so. And the tunnel vision went and that was a real relief. I kind of just, because the only real way to solve altitude sickness is to get down. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was a bit of a relief, but then I had this huge headache, but then I felt like, cause I was feeling a bit better. I could pick up some speed so I ran pretty hard to the first aid station, first checkpoint, which I think is about, I think it's like about the, the 13 or 14 kilometre mark. So I got there and I was okay with the cutoff. Like I was going okay. It was close, but it wasn't that close, like not enough to panic. So, and I don't really do aid stations. Like I pretty much just use them for water top ups and I carry a lot of my own stuff just because like I said before it's taken me a long time to get my nutrition right and I'm not the kind of person who can roll up and eat a charcuterie board in France (laughs) 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 no I love cheese (laughs) but that is maybe not not in that context (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah they like I, I hadn't done a race in in the Alpine region you know in the Alps and France Italy um before but I had heard a lot about how they have like cheese and meat at their aid stations and I was like oh my god why would you want that (laughs) um just fat but that's not what I wanted so um but they did have sparkling water which is amazing because I'm like an ultra coke person so I don't tend to drink coke ordinarily but when I'm running I'm all about the coke fueled by coke um and coca-cola not like the snorty kind (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure most ultra runners would have known <laughs> Coke as the drink. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good to clarify. Good to clarify. Well, you know what? It might actually might improve my running if I did this all you can't. But it's not. It's not my not how I roll. Um, but the sparkling water is amazing. I don't know why. It's not like I have caffeine or anything in it, but just the bubbly. The you know, freshness. just making it a bit better. Yeah, 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 the pep. So, so did I you had still have your headache when you were coming into the aid station? Like, had you yeah. dipped down at all as you get into there? Yeah, you dipped a little bit, but okay. they're up quite high there. So, I mean, like that whole region is incredible because they they, they have um, like 
a hut system, but it's like a gourmet hut system. Right. <laughs> so um, they they call them well, depending on whether you're in France or Italy, it's refuges or refugia, where like you can take refuge as a hiker because mm-hmm. it's all hiking trails. Like Ultra Trail Mont Blanc follows the Trail de Mont Blanc, which is a famous, very well known, like six or seven day hike for normal people, and you basically stay in the refuge. Um, accommodation and they have you know like food and like it's incredible that they're, they're so good so it was at one of those their first aid station um so I still had this headache but the tunnel vision had gone so I was feeling a little bit better but so and then the next section was sort of relatively it was rolly but it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of like major climbing and then that was sort of a pretty long stretch it was probably about 15k to the next um aid station the next checkpoint and that was the checkpoint that was in the valley um and I I was I thought I was moving okay but I knew that I was losing time and my headache was getting worse and worse and I was just like you know if I could just take a Panadol this would sort all of my problems out but UTMB has very choice (laughs) anti-doping rules or Mm -hmm. substance rules which don't follow water or anything. So the World Anti-Doping Agency, for people who don't know what water is, um, they have their own little program that they've set up that doesn't follow water. And Panadol is one of those things that is banned, mm-hmm. which I disagree with. But if you're going to sign up for races, you have to sign up for everything. So that's I accepted it. Um, and so my headache was just getting to the point where I was like, like finding it really hard to see out of my, like one of my eyes, <laughs> I think it was my left eye. So I was like kind of relying on having one eye really to do all of the, the, the viewing. And it's like the trails aren't like super, super technical. There's some technical sections and it's quite rocky because obviously you're in the mountains, but it's not like, I mean, we've been running around Springbrook this past year and, I mean, it's technical up here. It's pretty hectic. It's a completely different kind of situation there. So um, so I wasn't too worried about falling over, but it was just really hard with one eye. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it matters if you're in technical trail or on a road. If you're running with one eye in a storm, it's not sounding that amazing, I'm going to say, Gemma. Yeah. <laughs> but I was in a really good headspace. Like I was like, you've got this, you can do this. You know? And amazing. I was like, we just troubleshoot this. My crew is going to be at the 50K mark. That's the first kind of real checkpoint where you can have crew, 52Ks or something, or 53Ks. And I was just focused on getting there. I was like, just get to that 53K mark. I knew that they would be there. Um, I could get a Panadol from them and just deal with the fact that we could get scoreboard. <laughs> or at least we could just address the headache. Like yeah. we, could, we could work out how to, how to deal with the headache, even if I wasn't to take an illegal Panadol. <laughs> God um, forbid. I, I like how we move from oh cocaine God. to Panadol. It's really testament to your mindset, though, the fact that you like this scene that you're describing sounds like hell, and yeah. you're like, no, it's okay. I've got this. It's raining. You've got, your <laughs> I've got one eye. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a headache hey. from hell. Oh. It was a really suboptimal situation. I was, I was bummed because I was like, you know, the scenery was incredible and it wasn't lost on me, even though I had one eye and a headache. 
just like, a testament to the uh, the scenery around then yeah <laughs> it was amazing it was absolutely stunning and like there was a shepherd up there with dogs and I like very easily distracted by dogs <laughs> so I was like yeah I was really I was still like really present like I was really I wasn't like having a really crappy time just only thinking about how crap I felt um I was thinking like wow these mountains this view like you know Mont Blanc right there this is unbelievable I can't believe I'm here oh I've got a bad headache okay we can address it at the next day state you know when I can see Chris we can sort it out even if it's a head massage we'll work it out there I was just so focused on getting to that 53 kilometer aid station and I came kind of across the ridge line and over over a climb and then dropped down and that was where I could see the the 26 kilometer checkpoints mm. and um and I was like oh there's a checkpoint okay cool I've got it and I looked at my watch and I didn't have long before the cutoff and I was like oh shit okay I've really got to push so I was really pushing but these this descent this was like back and forth sort of switchback descent just went on forever and I was like watch looking at my my watch going oh my god it's getting really close I've got to push got to push and then I kind of got to the point where I looked at the the kilometer distance that I had on my watch the distance I knew that I had still to go to get to that checkpoint and what I could see and I was like I don't think I'm going to make it and so I but I was like no just keep pushing because you know you started in wave two which is like I think there was like a five or ten minute delay between waves I can't remember exactly but it was something like five to ten minutes and I was like for sh- like maybe maybe they will allow that and they, they take that into consideration with a cutoff so in that case you will make it and so I'm running down and I'm like I watch it go over the time that I should have been there and I was like had a k to go and I was just so in my inside I just started feeling that sense of devastation but I was like no, no no they might let you through they might let you through and as you kind of come around a corner you see the entrance and you run into the marquee and then they've got all, all of the, it all set up in there and they were stood at the entrance and they just shook their head and did the whole like that, that sign. And, and I just nodded and I just, and it was all being live streamed as well. And so I could see the camera there and I was like, don't do the ugly cry yet. <laughs> just um, get off camera. <laughs> so they cut me off there. And I looked at my watch and I'd missed the cutoff by like five and a half minutes. Aww. And I was so devastated. And I was just so, I literally kind of went into the aid station and they had like loads of benches and, and tables set up and they were packing the aid station up. And I just sat on one of the benches and just cried, like full on wailing, Woo! you know, <laughs> and just, I just had to get it out. Yeah. All of that emotion, like all of the emotion from the start, everything I dealt with to get to that checkpoint yeah. their whole being cut off so like, not even halfway into this race that I had just desperately wanted to do for so many years not just it wasn't just like a little idea I'd had and I'd entered like it was years and years of work and I hadn't achieved my goal and I was so just heartbroken and devastated and I just sat there for about five minutes and just cried I don't think I've cried like that for a while yeah wow and on your own as well because your crew weren't at that point yeah, yeah like, I'm thinking, like who speaks English there like <laughs> and were there many people around you as well like was there there was heaps of people who were cut off there. yeah yeah. Okay. yeah so the, the worst part is that yeah because like to like there's a bus so they have buses to take 
but they pretty much said that like no crew nobody could drive to the checkpoints because the roads are quite narrow and winding there's not a lot of parking where they have the checkpoints and the ones that you could access you had to take a bus there mm. and the bus sort of like central part of where all the buses went from was in Chamonix in the city center so to go anywhere and because it's like a loop um to go anywhere you have to go back into Chamonix and of course like that was the end of the road and then because if i had been able to carry on i would have then gone up and over another the second really big climb on the course mm. and up into switzerland and to champelag so that would have been the next big climb and that and that was sort of where my crew was on the other side mm. there was no road access there mm. <laughs> so for me i was i was on one side of the mountain range and i had to go sort of and like clockwise back on the bus to chamonix and they were the other side of the mountain range and they had to go anti-clockwise back and so i couldn't oh. see them for hours oh my it, was, it was hours before i could see them oh. and so i went and i sort of sat down with all the other people who were being cut off as well and who there were more people coming and I tried to pull myself together and like go okay we've got to like we've got to work this out but just be sad it's okay to be sad yeah and I got on and I was filthy like a stank and like it'd been raining and it was muddy and dusty and I was absolutely filthy and was wearing had all my gear because like my mandatory gear for, for this, the race is so big because yeah. of the you're in alpine country you have to have all this extra stuff and so I got the bus back to Cormier and then I had to get another bus to Chamonix from Cormier and then I had to get on the train from um, Chamonix to Valassine um to go back to the accommodation and Chris met me at the train station in Valsine. And by the time I got there, I was like, I'd obviously been crying. I wasn't being that much of a sort. But I was really, I was really disappointed. And I was going through the whole, I didn't train enough. I didn't do the right kind of training. Like I had, I had followed my program, but I hadn't followed it closely enough. And, you know, just felt so disappointed and so like angry at myself for not being able to 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 get through that like that extra six minutes you know if I could have just gotten through and yeah it was pretty was pretty down and um Linda my friend Linda was there and she was being very sort of sympathetic and sort of saying you know being very reassuring and Chris just said to me you're allowed to be sad today Mm -hmm. but not tomorrow (laughs) But it was one time I, uh, I had gone to Chamonix and I got a Macca's and I just got a cheeseburger and I was like, bugger this, I'm just going to eat a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, in the cheeseburger and I got back and I and he was just like, you know, it sucks and you're allowed to you're allowed to be sad and wallow for the rest of the evening and it was like five o'clock in the evening or six o'clock by the time I got back to Valencia after my mega bus journey. Yeah. Um, and he was like, but you know what, tomorrow you've got to wake up and, you know, we're going to go for a run in the morning because I hadn't done my 100K, so my yeah. legs were good. And that was the thing that really got me. Hey, my legs were good. So my legs felt really good. Then I'm going to call you out that all of, and I'm sure you've gone through all of this stuff as well. But yes, because what you do when you're, when you've missed a cutoff is, uh, it's all my fault. I didn't do enough and all that stuff. But I think you were in the right mindset and everything. Altitude sickness, let's like talk about that for a second. It really yeah. affects people very differently. 
And it's very random as well. Like what you said, you've had a great experience at altitude. You had a terrible experience at altitude. Now you're two for one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. it it sounds definitely more like the altitude sickness, of course. Like that's absolutely what got you because your legs were still fresh. And the looking, mindset was great. Yeah, mindset was awesome, like despite everything else. So that just, I mean, that's almost a uncontrollable thing as well. That you, yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, like I obviously since then, and we can talk about it more, I've gone yeah. through all the things that I would do differently and how I would resolve those issues in the future. Um, and I feel like I've really got a much better plan mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, like we said before, that only comes from experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think like, kind of where I went with it, like it was 100% the altitude sickness. And I could have done more to have mitigated it, like in the lead up. Um, you know, your aerobic fitness is so important. And um, I think, you know, making sure that I'm the fittest I possibly can be before going and racing in altitude is the best thing to do. Like, and it's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm fit, I can run up a hill. It's like you you are aerobically really efficient and you can run at a you can run relatively hard and not be out of breath like I think that's you know and that's something that's that's difficult because I get a little bit of exercise induced asthma um and in like mountain in the cold and in mountainous regions especially if there's like you know the less oxygen in the air that can be impacted and a lot of people have that it's like an environmental issue now that a lot of people are getting asthma or really bad hay fever and things like that so everything that I could could do to improve my aerobic fitness would have definitely helped, but there was nothing that was going to change my day. Mm. You know, there's not there was not one thing I could have done in that moment to have changed my day. Um, so really, it is what it is, um, and it's disappointing. But like, I'm just really, I'm so glad that I still get to learn on this in this sport and on this journey like you can do something for so long and you still learn every time you do a race something you know a different way or something that you can do better and that's the whole reason I love this sport is that every time you can do better you know like there is no peak (laughs) like you know especially for somebody who isn't doing it as a professional like I can always get better you know they can always run faster get fitter you know get a better time in the same race it doesn't matter you can always do better but that I think has been a really good thing for me for sure I spent a lot of time I sort of like working in my head through the things that I would would do differently and how I could make my experience a better one yeah I want to really quickly ask so if on that day you get into the checkpoint and you are in front of the cutoff how do you think the rest of the day would have gone (laughs) Um, I would like to think that it would have improved because I had run a lot of descent down into the valley and so my headache was clearing. Uh I probably would have got it back on the climb. I just looked at that climb. It was crazy. Yeah, Yeah, out of that checkpoint, it just goes straight back up again. (laughs) Yeah, that's the second big climb of the race. There's like five. Like, So so I think Cecilia talked about it on her um episodes that she did um after ccc but like everybody sort of talks about ccc as being a five climb race and so you sort of tick the you tick the climbs off as you do them so like yeah. the first one is that first that first 9k and then the second one is that one out of that checkpoint yeah. Yeah. so i probably would have had altitude issues again um 
maybe I, I really don't know yeah, but maybe yeah, I will um and I think it would have just been a battle all day but I wasn't at no point in the lead up to getting cut off was I even considering not finishing that race yeah. like there yeah. was no there, there wasn't even a millisecond of uh, maybe I'll stop mm-hmm. or this isn't feeling great maybe I'm gonna stop so I think I would have battled through it yeah it so had cut off not ex- is existed you would have done the course oh yeah however long absolutely. it would have taken you yeah absolutely yeah and I was 100% committed to finishing yeah so um it would have you know, I would have got it done if I if I hadn't have missed that cut off it would have just been a tough day yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And- but it would have felt harder and things, yeah. You know? like, <laughs> yeah if I had finished with all of that in mind, and you can tell me if this is too personal, but this is just where I'm going to go. So after this happened, you put up a post like reflecting on um, your experience and you mentioned that you felt that you had let people down. Mm-hmm. You've just described to us your prep, the fact that you would have battled on. I know 500% that everyone would believe that also. Do you still feel like you let people down? Yeah, I do a little bit. Um, like I've been quite open and relatively public with with a, with a lot of stuff to do with my running. Um, you know, like the fact that I really, I really firmly believe that female participation in trail running is super important, yeah. and that um, as a female, but also a person of color, I had a really big role to play by being on that start line at ccc i was one of probably like a handful of people who were similar in terms of ethnic you know ethnicity and gender um in that race and i felt like i had to i really felt like i had to represent um and so for me not to finish that day was tough because i felt like um like i hadn't done my cohort justice that we are capable of doing this and and I I felt like there was a lot of people and I do actually still feel like there's a lot of people who were following my race and my journey to that race on Instagram and social media who perhaps put it on a bit of a a pedestal it certainly made some people consider the race for themselves that perhaps wouldn't have done it I know that for a fact because I had quite a few people reach out to me saying that um that they had never thought that they could do something like that and me going and and doing it, at least, you know, getting to the start line has given them sort of faith in themselves. And that's a pretty huge burden to carry, you know, like I'm so glad that it is like that, that I've been able to inspire people, but at the same time I didn't achieve my own goal. So it was a bit like, oh, well, (laughs) don't be like me actually finish it oh I just want to give you a hug and also slap you like come on (laughs) (laughs) like you're right it's huge you have inspired people and when you say you you were like a handful of people I think Kristen you wrote 16 percent of that field were female starters and then when it comes down to race you're not exaggerating you're literally out of thousands of people a handful of people and you did get there and you have inspired people and I am going to put all of my life savings, I mean, it's not a huge bet, on the fact that every single person that you inspired didn't look at the fact that you 
battled as hard as you possibly could to try and get through there, miss the cutoff. I'm pretty sure they're not now saying, oh, yeah, I can, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, they might be if they've got any sense also because it sounds hellish. But <laughs> you really, <laughs> you know, it's... Sure, join me in the headache and speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like you are an inspiration. And I think it's it's interesting you view that um, position as a burden because really like you've, you're creating opportunity for people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I appreciate that you say that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really glad to be able to inspire people, especially people who perhaps didn't believe that they could. And being somebody who's, you know, it's really difficult when you're not somebody who podiums all the time. Like, you know, I, I'm obviously good friends with people who are incredible runners who do some amazing achieve some amazing things and it's very difficult not to compare yourself I mean I don't compare myself to some of them because I'm we're just not in the same league of runner and I also don't put the same amount of work in that they do so you can only get out of it what you put in right but um at the same time I felt like um I I often feel a bit I don't know if it's just my my own judgment thinking that other people are judging me do you know how you do that like you kind of go I bet they're thinking this and people actually don't think anything about you because they're wrapped up in their own worlds but I kind of sometimes feel like I'm a bit of an underdog like people kind of say oh yeah well Gemma's going to UC going to UTMB but you know she's not that great so she's not gonna finish and then like you know so I feel like I was like representing the underdog slightly and that like I had a you know like I had a, a role to play as a, as a female, as somebody, you know, like from an ethnic background, somebody at that race representing so many things. And I just felt like, yeah, I had a bit of a responsibility to, to do it justice. And I didn't, I didn't. And I don't think that pressure played into my day until I was cut off until I, and I sat on that bus thinking about it. And then I was like, Oh man, I hope I didn't just prove a whole load of, horrible people right <laughs> you know like but then that's a lot of my own insecurities like you know which we all have yeah I was about yeah. to say totally. all totally relatable and you also Gemma it's very clear you hold yourself to very high standards as yeah. well you're yeah. a high achiever you know and yeah high yeah. paid personality is my problem it's not a problem yeah. it got it gets you to the start line of one of the biggest races in the world exactly I mean, it is but yeah but you know what actually I kind of um within the space of I mean I you know I do listen to Chris most of the time even though he thinks so I do but within the space of a few hours I kind of turned it around and we ended up having a really great rest of our trip yeah and I was not following in my own misery for longer than I was allowed to and um and I turned it around and was like, you know, if you go out and you set yourself a goal to do something and you achieve it on the first go, is it really that much of an achievement? Like, yes, it is. Okay, I'm not saying that if you go, I'm going to go and run 100 miles and you run 100 miles and it's any less of achievement than if you fail the first time. But, like, not achieving a goal that you set yourself and having to work harder for it kind of makes it that bit sweeter when you do achieve something. Like, so I kind of came away from that whole experience of like you know this is a hard race this is not like you know uh, this is not just any 100k this is not just any any trail run it's a very tough course it's a very tough race in very difficult conditions I don't think there's every year where it's a dream where there's dream conditions um 
And it's very difficult to prepare for something like that if you don't know what to expect. And even like I had spoken to a lot of people who had done CCC, UTMB, you know, my coach has done it before. Um, it wasn't like I had, didn't have a lot of advice. I had a lot of people telling me kind of this is what to expect, but it, nothing compares to you actually doing it and it being a lived experience. And now that I've actually experienced what a climb is like on that course Mm. and what the terrain is like and what the conditions are like and how long some of those climbs are and what it's like you know now I know now I know what to do now I know how to deal with it you know I know that getting there a week before is not is not right for me I have to be there a decent period before and I need to acclimatize like a few days after the race, we were up, like, well, the day afterwards, we went for a run, we went up to altitude again. And within a day or two after the race, I was back up at about 2,500 metres and absolutely fine. Mm, yeah. And so had I just had an extra week yeah. and or if we had spent a whole period of time at altitude, yeah. I probably would have been fine during the race. And so I know for me that the next time we go, or any time that I race at altitude, I need at least at least ten days mm. to, before the race at altitude to make sure that I'm acclimatized. And they kind of say and, that too is like you've got to be there like two or three days before so that your body kind of like doesn't really realize what's happening, yeah. or like ten days to two weeks or something so that you can actually acclimatize. Because in that period yeah. of time, I think you get like some sort of eighty five percent right, and then the rest of it is like months and months and months of actually acc- acclimating. So. Yeah, you do yeah. what you can get. Yeah, and yeah, well, and I think yeah, for me, the the two days before or the day before it doesn't work because I <laughs> you don't want to be able to get everything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I just want to remind you that all of this, like this whole attitude, this whole mindset, this is the inspirational side of things. You know, getting to the finish line is awesome, but the fact that you're like, hey, so this is my plan for next time is like. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. incredible. There is next time. There's going to be lots of next times. I was yeah. going to ask. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I I want to go back and do some of the other races too, as well as go back and fi- and actually finish CCC because the other races kind of cover different sections of the course. Like, it's not just all on the same loop around Mont Blanc. Um, and the trails there are just amazing. And we were when we were over there, we were just both of us were like just awestruck by the whole place and like neither has it been to to Chamonix before or that region and we were just like oh my god we need to find a way to come and spend the you know six months here or something just so we can just really soak all of it up it's just the most incredible beautiful place and and you know while we've got it you know because those those um glaciers aren't gonna be there for much longer and so you know we really want to enjoy it while it's there and yeah, so, and I, I'm not very, I always have to finish the things I start. So I will be going until I finish that CCC course. Hell but I think yes. um, I want to do some of the shorter stuff um, as well over there, some of the shorter races. There's the 54K um, OCC. Um, Chris did the new um, 15K yeah. race, ETC, yeah. which is like extra trail Cormier or something. So it starts and finishes in Cormier. Um, and he really enjoyed it and he said it was really hard. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that like, it doesn't matter who do a 15k race or like the, 
105 mile race or PTL, which is like the five day ridiculous thing. Um, you know, um, it's just, yeah, it's like there's, it's all so different and so varied and they're all challenging in their own way. So yeah, we will be going back plenty. Yeah. But we've got to be, you know, we've got to do the races and qualify and get in, get a spot. And, you know, I think we'll just try and keep entering the lottery and, and whenever one of us gets in, we'll go over and do a race and the other one will crew. And yeah, we'll just do that until we get bored of it. Cool. <laughs> Fantastic. That'll be. So fun. Which, which race is Chris kind of getting for? Um, like 50k is his sweet spot. Yeah. Okay. Well, at that distance. So I think he's, he's keen on doing that. Um, the OCC race. Um, there's a there is a 42k race MCC which oh, yeah. you have to you can only do if you're a local or you volunteered. So I think that's kind of a distance he would like to do. So I think if I get into a race one year and he doesn't get in, he might volunteer so he can do MCC. Um, yeah, I don't know. We joked about buying an apartment in Germany because we'll be there so much, but I, maybe that's not going to be a joke. Who knows? <laughs> I love that. And that certainly came through really clearly as well that after the race, you really did turn it around in terms of the gratitude for just being in such an incredible landscape and just still having the ability to get out on your legs and get up and explore like your photos are so beautiful. And if people haven't seen them, I would definitely recommend scrolling through Gemma's feed and having a little look because it's so breathtaking. Oh God, it was just amazing. I mean, it looks fake. You know, it looks photoshopped even when you're there and you know, you just sort of turn around and there's this like huge imposing peak of Mont Blanc and gosh, it's just incredible and beautiful. And, you know, uh, I mean, I would never get bored of that view. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. I mean, we um we we made sure we got out and did something every day and if we weren't up to feeling up to running we would hike and um there's just endless trails there's so much to do there that's outdoors and um and now I'm like because I'm following all these there's quite a few athletes who um from the US and Canada who are over there at the moment they were there for a Solomon training camp I think and it's snowing there at the moment and I'm like oh we could go and ski (laughs) so (laughs) I don't know I think we're going to be going back and forth to Europe a little bit it's pretty cool when you find a place that you love like that that's awesome yeah yeah and it was really it was really like I felt really good um in myself because my legs felt so good like and that's been the theme actually ever since CCC. Like um, I've been trying to do quite a lot more gym and strength work and I've been following um, um, Sally McRae, who's a um, professional ultra runner um, and she's really into strength training and I have her app and I follow a lot of her strength training stuff that she does and it's all sort of geared towards running and God, it's made such a difference to my running. I can't even tell you, like I just feel... My my legs never let me down on the climb. It's always my lungs. So, and I was always like, you know, my physio always said that my quads came into the room long before the rest of me. Like I was just all quads. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think like I feel a lot more like confident in my ability physically as a result, like of getting through that and still having really good legs and being able to run the next day, like. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I'm going to message you about that because I've actually been looking at 
the app as well. Whole, whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, yeah. I just found, I always found myself like, um, just because she puts quite a few of, Salome Cray puts quite a few of her um, strength training stuff on her Instagram page and I ended up just like saving all her videos and I was like, oh God, I might as well just pay for the app. <laughs> just, just invest. Yeah. So, yeah, so I did. And I, yeah, it's funny how, um, how a race like that, like how, how kind of not achieving a goal can really change your mindset about something. You know, like I've always sort of run because I enjoy running and I, like I, I work best if I have a race to, to train for and a goal to work towards. So that's just how my, how I'm wired. I need to work towards something, but not achieving the goal that I set out to achieve. And then having a couple of pretty decent runs since like UTA 15 wasn't anywhere near my fastest 50k but I had a good day like I again a really good mental day and like it was not the course I was prepared for but it was still a such a great day and still that vibe and I really enjoyed myself and that was a confidence booster and then Bruni Island Ultra was just fun and I ran I ran a hell of a lot better than I thought I was going to and um and a lot of it is just because I kind of was like, hey, if I really want to achieve these goals, I really need to lean into my running and make it a priority. You know, like you have to, if you want to achieve stuff, you have to prioritize it sometimes. So, yeah. Awesome. Mind you, I should probably prioritize finishing my PhD in the last more time. <laughs> you have a few things going on. There's a few priorities. That's the, yeah, that's, that's the reality of it. And that really is the reality of it. I am also conscious of your time. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share about the experience before I ask you a very important question about Wild Wheeze? Um, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like I know that there's a lot of people now who have entered the lottery for UTMB races and um, Western states and probably to a lesser extent Hard Rock because Hard Rock is pretty messed up. But um, <laughs> um, And they... And they've entered probably off the back of seeing, or maybe not necessarily off the back of seeing myself and Megan Brown at these races this year, but it's probably planted a seed in a lot of people's heads. And I guess I just wanted to say, like, don't don't be disappointed if you don't get in. <laughs> like, um, Western States Lottery was drawn last week or Monday, and there's a handful of people from Australia going, um, a couple of people like Luke, you mentioned earlier, yeah, who got in. Really exciting. Yeah. Yep. Um, but there's, but, you know, these things take a long time and it's a blessing because it's not just like going down to UTA and running 100Ks and it being a hard day, but achieve, an achievable day. Like, you know, even Western States, is a really, really hard race. And the longer you have to prepare and work towards that goal, the better, I think. So if you didn't get in and you're a bit bummed, like, first of all, very few people ever get on the first go. And second of all, it's a blessing because keep that goal in your mind. Just like everything you do between now and whether it takes two years or five years to get into that race is working towards that race. And if you can like build the engine and the experience and do the races that get you the experience and um yeah just just like use that time to really you know improve and work on the the little things that don't necessarily always go that well in races so if it's your nutrition like work on that you know make sure that you work out how to deal with heat or altitude or 
you know, cold climate running or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's been interesting because I've kind of seen like the impact that perhaps we've had by being quite public and, and being just people that everybody knows going to these races. And, um, yeah, I think it's easy to think it's easy to get into them, but, it, yeah, like it takes a long time. So don't be disappointed if it takes time. And I think that's yes. great advice too. Yeah. yeah great that, reality check. It is, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. All right, final question. So the question we ask every episode, I used to um, coach a bunch of little girls mountain biking at Sugar Bag Road with my friend Jackie, and they couldn't make it through a session without needing to essentially pee in the trees. And they used to ask to go for a wild wee. Gemma, can you tell us about any impressive wild wees on your trip? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I'm the world is my toilet. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, for some reason, no matter how many times I go to the toilet before I go running, within the first ten minutes, I need wee, and it happens every time. Like I every time, thing. I'm yeah, I'm there with you. <laughs> so weird. It's yeah, it's really annoying. Um, so and it was really difficult at CCC to do that because there was a lot of people yeah, kind of all the time, and so I just did it. <laughs> We just pulled over to the side and just pulled my pants down and had a wee and didn't think. I figured that people would just have to work it out if they found that disturbing. That's right. I think you're in good company, surely. I, I mean, like a lot of men. You know, they were blokes and they can just, you know, pee out inside their shorts, whereas I'm, you know, mooning Mont Blanc. And so <laughs> they, there's not much you can do as a female. So, but the thing is, when I run, when I run, like I use the number of times I wee as like a measure of my hydration. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, if I'm, if I'm weeing every hour or so, then I'm doing well. Yeah. Like if I haven't weed for a few hours, we need to address this immediately. Mm, so, quite often that means somebody's seeing something that I want to see. I love, yeah. I think it's a new hashtag, Mooning Mont Blanc. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, it's so funny because um, not long after, I think it was after um, Megan's second podcast. She put a picture up on her Instagram yeah. that Sammy had taken of her doing a wild wee. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, Chris and I are really close friends with Sammy and Megan. And so I said to Chris, oh, we've got to do one to respond. And he was like, I'm not taking a photo of you wee. <laughs> <laughs> he was so disgusted by my, me asking you. <laughs> I was like, oh god, I'm gonna have to wait until I'm running with brownie nights. <laughs> We've got to normalize the wild wee. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, be proud of your wee. Absolutely. Measure of hydration. You're doing well, especially in summer in Queensland. If you're weeing, you're doing well. Yeah, definitely. Actually, after all, that's fair. All right. Um, if people want to find you online, Gemma, can you remind us where to go, please? Yeah, my Instagram's the best place, and um, I'm Little Goat Gem all one word all with a j for gem mm-hmm. perfect all right thank you so much i really appreciate you sharing all of that it's um yeah it's definitely going to inspire others and really really interesting to hear your experience so thank you and, and congratulations i was gonna like, say congratulations yeah it's incredible yeah. so amazing it's, yeah it's an unfinished story yes <laughs> and we cannot wait to follow along yeah yeah for however many years <laughs> God knows how long it'll take, but I will finish CCC. Yeah, <laughs> you will. 
Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me on again. I really enjoy chatting to you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gemma. Take care. So enjoy good. the rest of your gardening. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I passed the baton to Chris, so he has to finish it now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Into the Wee Hours podcast. To get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Into the Wee Hours podcast or email us at into the wee hours podcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, Sarah is all the gear nay idea, and that is N-A-E for all you non-Scots people, and Kristen is at Kristen Vaughton. To read the show notes or to listen on the website, you can visit intothewehours.com forward slash podcast. And to help support this podcast, you can also head over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash into the wee hours podcast. Happy adventuring and we will talk to you next time.